Amen. Y'all can have a seat uh, as our worship team steps down. Thankful for them for leading us in worship. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans 8. Uh, if you do not, you are welcome to pick one up on the back table, uh, and you're welcome to take that home with you as our gift to you. Uh, Romans 8, but before I get into that, I want to talk a little bit because we are starting uh, a new series that uh, at least I believe is very important, uh, calling it Pillars. Uh, and as I look around, I see my math is correct, well, counting those, 10 pillars that uh, I, I guess maybe it's uh, uh, decoration, I don't know, Ted, Ted's a guy who knew about it, but hold the church up, you know, the pillars, but generally... They hold something together. And so I've titled this series, which is only three parts over the next three Sundays, Pillars, and then as a subtitle, What Holds Us Together? Uh, and that's a question, honestly, that's, that's really burdened me, not in a bad way, but I've thought about it over the summer, thinking about this series. And it would be a question I would pose to you, particularly if you've been to Bellwether uh, a long time, the question of what does hold us together? And, and often, I think, for a church, and I think it can be particularly true when, when you move into a building, uh, as we did about 18 months ago here, and this is a huge blessing, but it can also be a, a big challenge as well. Because I think often, and I'll call this in church world, and, and we're in the buckle of it, like of the Bible Belt, church world, that the things that hold us together uh, are not necessarily, let me say this, uh, the things of the Lord. Uh, so, for example, and, you know, my parents maybe listen to this, so mom, dad, I'm kind of using y'all, uh, love them, but like shared past sometimes holds the church together. So a shared past of your family, using my parents, you know, going back generations and generations, uh, to Myrtle Methodist Church, and, you know, they're, I mean, they're locked in, but that shared past is a big part of what holds the church together. Uh, relationships or friendships. I mean, if you think about it, uh, maybe many of you or, or some of you or, I don't know, but you may, you may come to church or you're part of this church because, you know, so-and-so goes here or, or my small group goes here or... People I want to know go here. And so relationships uh, can be a big part of what holds us together as well. Um, So there are these things, shared past, uh, relationships, and then last, I mean, a building can hold us together. Really like this spot or like this place or have all these memories here. I say that, and I I hope it it might... um, It might prompt you to think about what holds you here. Because I think all of us, me included, uh, we come to church and often uh, we come to church for for our agenda uh, rather than God's agenda. So let me give some examples of of our agenda or or my agenda in the past before I went into the ministry. Uh, Our agenda can be friends. So I've already kind of hit on that. Uh, I'll go here or I'll be part of it because... And I want to make these friends, or I want to make these relationships. Uh, I want to find a spouse here, which, hey, I'd rather you find, a, as the old saying goes, find a spouse in a church versus a bar. But, but often, I mean, our, our agendas in, in coming to church are, 
are these, uh, are these relationships. Uh, another agenda, I would say, is what I call just uh, our mission. But it's like this, this mission you have for, for your life. And, and often this will happen with, uh, you, you may have this passion, this pet project. Um, you know, let me, let me take Honduras, for example, just because we've talked about it. We just got back. Uh, someone could come from outside of this church. Actually, I had a conversation last night. A, a family outside of this church that has heard all that we're doing in Honduras that say, we really want to go. Uh, we're in. We're in next year. And I say it. And we always say it. You don't have to be a Bellwether member or go to church here uh, to go on really any or, or all mission trips. But they're like, you know, we're in. So, so maybe there's this passion, this mission for a family. It's like, you know, I, I feel called to Central America. Or I feel called to this place. And this church does it well. So, so I'm coming here and, and I want to get involved there. Uh, because that's what this church does good. It may not be a mission trip. It could be worship. You know, you could come in and be like all musically geared and teched out. You know, I mean, y'all know I'm not. You know, I've never felt, I say God doesn't call you to something he doesn't gift you with. I've never felt called to worship. You know, amen? But some folks may be like, you know, man, I'm called to do worship here. I'll come, hey, sign me up. I want to play. I want to get on stage. I want to use my gifts, you know what I'm saying, to, to sing. So I say that, you know, your mission. That's another agenda that we could have but God has his agenda and what what I hope that you will see and ultimately you know in in a dream world which a dream world is heaven it's not heaven we're you know our our broken world and and selves but God's agenda say like this is for your growth number one well it's no order but number one your growth so sometimes that happens in blessing other times it happens in challenges uh, always it happens as he stretches us, uh, your growth in God's word, your growth uh, through a community, through a body. Actually, Jesus called, well, the Bible calls the church the body. God's agenda is also, and I love, you know, our theme verse, John ten sixteen, is to reach other people. So often we'll come with our agenda to, you know, fit uh, into a, uh, a group of folks, or find friends, or have my mission. And God is always saying, I mean, if you look in the Bible, He's like, now there are other people out there. And we've said this from day one, and it's ebbed and flowed, you know, in terms of our passion for it. And I hope the passion is growing once again uh, to reach other people, uh, other people who look different, other people who uh, are different, because uh, that's God's agenda. And, and there's a lot of folks in this city uh, that need a connection to a community. Students, adults, young and wise. God's agenda is also to reach the world for Christ and go to nations. So I say that and I ask that question again, like, what holds us together? What holds you together if you come here, if you've been coming here? Is it a shared past? Is it relationships that are very particular to you? Is it, you know, your mission or niche? Uh, Or is it God's agenda? And God's agenda is always about your growth. God's agenda is all about reaching other people, going out for a city to the world. What I like to say, reaching neighbors and nations with the good news of Jesus Christ, period. You know, my my MO, and, you know, this has evolved or there's been a trajectory. I mean, my my MO, my, my mission in life, whether bellwether or somewhere else, and I'm not planning on going anywhere, so don't read into that. But my, you know, why I'm here is to do all I can and all the time I have 
with all the gifts God has given me to what I call Christianizing the world. Now, that sounds very like evangelical, which it is. Say it again, do all I can with all the time I've got on this planet, with all the gifts that God has given me, and they're few, but to Christianize the world. And what that means is, one, taking time to listen to people, uh, sometimes giving a soft response, uh, opening up our home and hospitality. Like, what I think of Christianizing the world is definitely not, you know, if you died tonight, where would you be? Or, or lecturing somebody. Instead, it is just, like, loving our neighbor, which is sometimes tough to do for me. Amen? I mean, our literal neighbor next door, okay? Loving our neighbor, um, opening myself up to students, young folks, just listening, uh, setting the pace to go, honestly. I love to help people go. Uh, So whether it is in Jackson or whether it's in India or setting the pace, because I think we're all called to go. But that's my MO in life, just, just so you all know. That's my MO for this church. But it's tough. It's tough. And just to give you like a brief two to three minute like history lesson, you know, it's very interesting with the history of the church from like Acts to now. And the first 300 years, the church was heavily persecuted and it grew like wildfire across the Middle East and then across Europe. And it grew and grew, and, but they were persecuted, but Christians were also very joyful. And they were a blessing to the cities. And then around, I don't know if my dates are, are right here, around 380 A.D., a guy named Constantine. Don't check out there like, oh, it's history, you know, you know it's not of practical point. Yeah, it is. It's a guy named Constantine made Christianity the religion of the Holy Roman Empire. So he basically tied a political and cultural power to Christianity, to faith. And at that point, the church started dying. Okay? Now, it had cultural power, which is one of the reasons you'll go to Europe now, if you've been to Europe, and see all these grand cathedrals uh, that, that are what now? Museums are empty. But they had this power in, in money and, and cultural power that, that these cathedrals were built. Uh, that began to carry over even to the U.S., but then something happened in history, and it still affects us to this day. It's this thing called, again, don't check out, like, man, I didn't come for a history lesson. Just listen. It's important. This thing called the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment basically rebukes everything about Christianity. And I would say we live today in the, not the remnants, but still in the, honestly, this is the, the culture of the Enlightenment. Because the Enlightenment said, you don't really need anything above you. All the answers are inside you, which is very what I like to call, and don't mean to offend anybody, but it is what it is, kind of Oprah-ish or Dr. Phil-ish. Um, and, you know, just everything, all you need is in you. And you can, if you work hard enough, you know, you can get what you want. And you can find the answer, find the solution. And it really rebuked, because there were a lot of atheists who bought into this, Christianity. And that enlightenment thought tied into, frankly, our country's founding. And, and then the church was seen, it became a way, it was really tied to um, helping us get what we want. So we really, here's, the, here's why it's tough. We really, many of you, and I would definitely say I was this way at one point, and I battled against it. 
what happens is I'll think everything that I need to get ahead is really inside me if I work hard enough. And so I'll use various things in my life, one being the church, to get what I want. And it's you know, kind of called consumerism. And, and you see this uh, grow in the country. You've seen it grow. Where, I mean, the best way you can say it is, you know, if you're coming to church and your car breaks down and your mechanic is in church, you're, you, you like having your mechanic in church because that helps you out getting your car fixed and you're not going to go to the mechanic who doesn't go to church. You see what I'm saying? And that's kind of all across, if you imagine all across, at least the Bible Belt still, doctors, bankers, my dad's a banker. I mean, he, you know, it's all tied to church. The church kind of helps, helps us brothers and sisters out in, in ways. And so now, last thing on the, and I'll end the history lesson, now in a decade, listen to me, listen to me, in a decade, the church has gone, or, and this is the last stronghold, church, big C church, but is going from a position of favor to a position of foolishness in our culture. Hear me out, okay? And Christians generally have been since our country was founded, in a position of favor and tied to cultural and political power, moral majority stuff, to now, and it's going to get worse, positions of foolishness. Because how could we believe in some of the, the thing, you know, like biblical, literal? And so that's why I say it's tough. Because we think we know what we need. And then also the society is going to say, well, if you really believe this, like, word for word, you're foolish. So it's going to be tough. And my MO, Christianize the world, do everything, it's going to take some, some love and people just see us filled with joy. That's the only thing. We're not, we're not going to convince anybody. Uh, and I've, I'm seeing it happen over and over more right here, Jackson, Mississippi, heart of the Bible belt, buckle, you know. So it's tough. So I say for us, and this is why, you know, we've got to say, this is what holds us together. And it's not our agenda, it's God's agenda. And so the pillars that, and I've spent a lot of time over actually the last nine months thinking, praying about three pillars. They're on our website. We're going to spend the next three weeks going over each one. But see a big God is one. Love the other person, which we've talked about. Go to the world. Now, interestingly, each of those begin with an action verb. And I'd love to claim this, but I can't because Hunter came up with it. But they, they all end up, if you, you know, the first word, see, love, go. So you can start off see, love, go, but together, see, love, go. And that's, that's what God calls us to, see, love, go. So today, we're going to focus on, and we'll put this up on screen, love for you to write it down, or if, not, if you don't, commit it to memory, this idea of seeing a big God, Okay. Now, after all that, I want to get into Scripture, but I needed to share that just to give a reason behind uh, the next couple weeks. Romans 8, uh, famous verses, famous passage, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. Romans 8, and I think this is directly all of it, tied to seeing a big God. Start with verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Uh, Love that passage again, love that chapter. And it talks a lot about seeing a big God. I also say this, and for everybody, that... There's always, if you're a Christian, there's this choice in life. And you got three options. You can spend your Christian life and you can see a big God that's always at work. Or you can say, I see a big man. Forgive me, ladies, but just, or big human. I don't know what he, just big man. And the idea behind that is like, is really you have all the power. You have all the tools. You make all the decisions. You make it happen. Whether it's your Rolodex or now, you know, your, your phone list or contact list. And you're like, you know, you're just big in the sense of you get it done. And, and often that's what many fall into. And God is, you know, we call him backseat or he's in the trunk or he's a spare tire. Big guy, big man. Or big church. And you think kind of everything's wrapped up in your church. Uh, if you notice, and many of you probably have not, but... I, I want you to start noticing. I don't ever say, and I will never say, look what God is doing at Bellwether Church. Because it ain't about Bellwether Church. And God has done great things and will do great things. But we never have wanted to make the focus here. God's doing great things in every church. You know, if if you're visiting here and visiting other churches, they're going to be great. God's at work there. God's at work in all churches. My deal is to get y'all to see God out there. And so you go, and here we'll come to get rebooted. But it's not about here. It's, it's not about a particular church. And I just, I just can't really integrity say, oh, look what God's doing here and all this, blah, blah, blah. No, I want you to go out there and see a big God in the world. And then just know this. God can do more through you than you could ever do for God. I'll say it again. God can do more through you than your powers, abilities, gifts, contact list can ever do for God. And it is a different way of seeing. So when we say see a big God, not see a big man, not see a big church, see a big God. So looking at this passage then, it says a lot. And I'm going to have to briefly go over it four times so y'all can see a big lunch. Anyway, so, yeah, I figured I'd wake y'all up. It says a lot that is important. First verse talks to me a lot about happiness. Verse 28. All things work together for good. I think about, okay, all things good. That means do I get happy? 
for those who are called according to his purpose. It says a lot to us about happiness. Because most folks, and this has been me, uh, in their life or in their Christian life, what they really want is the happiest possible life and no hell. The happiest possible life and no hell. You know, we're having a baptism service next week. I always like to talk to folks because, you know, sometimes I'll get, well, I want to be baptized because I don't want to go to hell. It's a little bit more than that. Just saying. But often that's kind of our MO. Happiest life possible and no hell. And over and over again, uh, and I've quoted some celebrities, I've quoted uh, other people who are, who are wiser than me, they said, you know, the thing that I thought would make me happy, when I got it, it didn't make me happy. And, you know, what do you do then? Maybe it's a person. Uh, maybe it's getting into a college. Maybe it's getting into a fraternity or sorority as we're entering that, you know, folks were th- going through rush yesterday. Maybe it's saying, oh, if I'm in this supper club or maybe I don't, this job, this position, if I have that, that's called an idol. You know what an idol is? Whatever it is, you say, if I have that, I'm happy or I'm good. And you will quickly realize it doesn't make you happy. And often in our, our lives, we will have suffering. And so here it is saying that God, if you're called according to his purpose, those who are in Christ, works all things together for good. Uh, I've talked to many people about that. It's where I base that phrase, there are no accidents in Christianity. Now I do think, let me be clear, uh, I believe in free will. I believe I will always choose sin. Let me be really clear about this. I believe in, in me, left to my own, I will choose sin. So I've used this illustration before. I'll probably use it over and over again. It makes sense to me. I'm like a hard, I'm like a hard fist. Like I'm a hard man if, if you get down to it. I got a hard heart. I got a dark heart. I'm just hard. And the only way, one, that I can receive Christ uh, the only way that I can willingly make some good choices is if this other hand comes above me, God's hand. And it melts my hard heart. And then I grasp onto that and get a new heart with God. And if I stay in Him, in union with Him, through a church, through a group, through Rise with God Bible reading, my heart stays there. And if I don't, I can easily fall back, and sometimes I found myself, my heart's hard again. And i got to look to that open hand, the Lord's hand. And so that's what I'd say. So I, be clear, I believe in free will. I, I will, on my own, always choose sin. And I need a higher will, a power will, to melt my heart. And then those times when the heart goes, the heart goes hard again, I know he'll still use those things, those bad decisions, those bad choices, for good and for his glory. And so, suffering, you know, it's, it's going to happen. But I don't want you, I don't want me to be bittered by it. And I want you to see God's hand over and above ours. And when we're just running and chasing the happy life and then we don't meet it, then we get bitter towards God. And Jesus said you will have tribulation. I mean, that's just a fact. But we trust and that all things work together. Uh, and then look at this. It says a lot, not only about happiness, it says about image, your image. You know, I talk to a lot of students, and uh, a lot of young girls have opened up to my wife and really struggle self-image. Self-image is a big thing. And guys do too, we just don't admit it, uh, or don't admit it as often. And verse 29, it says, look at this. 
Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to look at this, be conformed to the image of his son. There's that word image. That when you're in Christ, he's got a plan to conform you, move you to the image more of Jesus. Uh, The best way I heard it this week was a testimony from the Ignite Sports Camp. And this testimony is on our website, but it's from Carter Muscagney. Is Carter here today? Leave it to Carter. He's not going to be here today. The, The day I mentioned Carter Muscagney said... And this is not a direct quote, but he said, he served at the camp as a counselor, and he said, you know, we all came in broken, and we were all very different, and then the way we loved on each other was, he said, a reflection for God's purpose uh, for humanity uh, in moving us together and being more, these are being more like Jesus and, and serving at this camp. And I love it, being more like Jesus. And so... Many of us struggle with self-image, and that causes doubt and worry. And yet Jesus wants to move, conform you to his likeness, which is, which is good, which is awesome, which is love, which is joy, which is peace, which is a soft response, which is loving your enemies, which is, which is supernatural, changing hearts. Keep going. Get that big lunch. Um, verse 31, this passage says a lot about, let me use this word, enemies. Enemies. Uh, some of you have real enemies. Uh, not everyone will like us. You know, another passage in Romans says, do all things to make all well with all, all men. But, uh, you know, we can't control somebody else. And often, uh, we fear man a lot more than we fear God. And so verse 31, I love this verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? Many of you are struggling right now with this severe, and again, forgive me, you can replace human, whatever, but I just say, struggling big time with fear of man. How you're perceived, how some folks approve of you and some don't, what people think. Do you see a big God? Do you see his hand working in all things? Do you know that you're in the palm of his hand? Do you know that you will face him one day and give an account of your actions in your life? So I've, and it's tough, but I've always tried to, especially the first couple of years, pastor in Bellwether, but moving forward, fear God, not fear man. And I love this verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, then verse 32, we move on. This passage talks about desires of the heart. And look at what he says. If God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, Jesus, graciously give us all things? All things. Let me use a verse, put up on screen, Psalm 37, 4 and 5, two verses that have spoken to me recently. Look at this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. Please leave it up on the screen so everybody can see it. Uh, I love these two verses. First off, most of us, when we're not getting the desires of our heart, we're definitely or probably not delighting ourselves in the Lord. Um, you know, I talk to people over and over again, and they'll say, well, I want this, or I want uh, my life to be this way, uh, I want my heart to be this way. And I'll say, are, are you even looking at the Lord? Are, are you, I'll say, are you doing your rise with God time? No. Are you even reading the Bible? No. So that's one way to see God's hand. 
Uh, are, you, are you connected with other Christians? Small group. Really small group. Maybe two or three even. No. Delight yourself in the Lord. The greatest way to delight yourself in the Lord to know, one, to know you need to be saved. And many of us hardworking Americans really gut <laughs> at our core, we don't think we need to be saved, that we're really good people. You need to be saved. I deserve, I say this, I deserve death and hell. Me. Okay? Jesus comes in and I'm not drowning and he does not throw out a life preserver. I'm dead, middle, bottom of the ocean, and he brings the oxygen tank and resuscitates us. So if you get that, delighting in that someone loved you that much and that's real and I believe it, he starts giving you the desires of your heart. Your desires change because your heart changes. And then the, the next verse, commit your way to the Lord. Uh, I use this at a... I was talking to some teachers. And, you know, I love that commit your way. Because way is not a goal or a destination. You know, think about it, uh, you basketballers here. This is the way, and that's probably a bad example. This is the way you shoot a basketball. Uh, This is the way you do an addition problem. You don't, two plus one is three, you add one to it, you don't subtract. Uh, This is the way you learn a foreign language. You begin memorizing words. This is the way that you can understand that passage. It's how you do things. So if you commit your way to the Lord which I would say could begin reading God's Word in a small group, committed to a local church, serve, commit your way, and then trust in Him. He will act. And He gives us the desires of our heart because those desires have changed. And then last in this passage, overcoming things. You know, I love verse 37. It's a famous verse. We really, when we say it, we a lot of times, and I have used it for ourselves, you know, you're more than a conqueror. We love that. Oh, we're battling and we're, we're conquering, we're overcoming. But this verse says, through him. I mean, we love the idea that we're the conquerors, but Jesus has conquered death and we have victory in him. So through him, we can overcome. In all this, do you see a big God? This is, this is what... This is the story of the Bible. And then the last couple of verses, I always quote these. I, you know, unfortunately, part of my job is doing funerals, although my job is not only to marry and bury, that's a lot more, but burying is part of it. And everyone, when I'm at the graveside, that is, that's, I found that's the biggest feeling sense of separation, putting a loved one in, in the ground. And I go back to this verse because I say nothing Nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, I I say all this, do you see a big God? Because uh, in closing, I highlight that other word, you got to see it. I mean, literally, your your worldview has to change. I can't change it. No person can change it. The Holy Spirit can. I can recount the worldview that's in the Bible, the big God versus a big man or a big church, you know, or a big ego. And see a big God working in all things. Use my own life real quick. Now looking back, I mean, I can, I can trace a line from growing up in Mississippi, you know, having a lot of uh, blue collar, God love them, redneck folks all around me and just uh, pouring out love. I can trace back being snubbed, high school, some of you youth, college, 
how that feels. You know, Mississippi's not a state, it's a club. You know, amen, whatever. We'll talk more about that next week. Can't wait. Going overseas, having a love for other people. Um, God giving me this desire uh, to go, to talk to people that are far from God. I mean, like atheists, you know, agnostic. I'll never remember, I was studying abroad in France, and they were my dorm room. This sounds bad. Two Dutch girls. It was not, it was, a, it was you know, boy, girl, dorm, and, you know, I mean, it's France. But anyway, two Dutch girls were in there. It's a big dorm room. And they were like, they saw this verse, and they said, you believe in God? And I was like, yeah, it was Philippians 4.13. And, you know, they were like, well, my grandparents were in the Holocaust. I mean, how could God do that? And, and I was like, ugh, ugh. I mean, I have nothing there. I mean, not, you know, nothing, no response. There are people far from God, they don't, you know, and, and they'll fake it at church. But those same questions are here. Uh, to, to being mentored and relationships from uh, D.C., Australia, Boston, and, and coming back. I mean, I can trace it, you know, God's hand. And, and I just, I grow this, this faith, this belief in a big God. And, and I turn it to you, y'all. I mean, some of you, let me start with youth. I'm going back to school. I mean, some of you have, are being snubbed. Um, unfortunately, um, some of you have probably been bullied. I, I, forgive me. I mean, I, I just can't stand bullies, uh, whether the student or an adult. And there's, there's both. God's at work in your life. Uh, the peer pressure that, that our, our kids uh, face um, and feeling like they've got to give in to certain things. I mean, God, there's a big God at work. Uh, you parents, us parents, you know, we had our kids up here. Uh, there's a phrase that I heard, and, and David Carroll told it to me, but uh, he heard it somewhere. I don't know who coined it or pinned it, but don't prepare the path for the child. Prepare the child for the path. I love that, and I think it says so much about a big God because we're, you know, we're all preparing the path for our child. I mean, Jack is either going to go to West Point or he's going to play SEC baseball. I mean, it's just, I, mean I, just you know, I got it lined out. Don't prepare the path to the child. It's like, oh, you got you to go to these parties. You got to be with this friend group. You know, I got to set you up for this fraternity or sorority. I mean, because come on. We know how it rolls in Mississippi. Prepare the child for the path God has for him. You would, just adults, maybe some of you aren't, aren't parents. Man, I just, I do pray. I, I pray specifically for the members of our church weekly. But that you'd see every day as an opportunity to see a big God. I mean, it changes your worldview. In your job as a businessman or a physician or a student, if you're a grad student, God is at work in your life. And, and then this church together. One thing, I, I, I would ask this, you know, think about seeing God at work here. Do you ever invite anybody to church here? You know, because I had two experiences this week. And I know I'm going on, the lunches, the big lunch there. But I had two experiences this week. Uh, one, two folks said, uh, two different people had invited them to church. Uh, one, I don't know if they're here, you know. But uh, Ben Jeffcoat and Teddy DiBiase had invited two different people to church. And I said, man, I love that. I love when members will invite folks. And then another example of some folks who came, and they knew people here, and they said, we came because we know people here. I was like, well, they ever invite you to church? I said, no, we just came. And I was like, so I said, do you ever see a big God? Do you ever see it where he's like, hey, come to church with me? Because there are people who need a connection. Uh, last thing about church, you know, we're, we're not in a perfect world. It's very broken, and I've had, uh, you know, the, the baller that I think I am in Honduras. I was playing ball, and, and I thought this, this dude, I'm not going to call him out, but I thought he jammed 
my pinky finger. Well, and then I, it, it, it's worse than a jam. I think uh, it's not broke, but I think I did something, maybe tore a ligament or something, Doc. <laughs> uh, it's still swollen, and it's still hurt, and it's got like going on six weeks. And I went, you know, this is a pinky finger and how it impacts my entire body. And that has really convicted me over the last months because, you know, I said the church is a body in the New Testament. And so there's always going to be these ailments, and we need to work to do all we can to heal them, but then there'll be another ailment and another ailment. And so do we see a big God working even in the midst of ailments? And, but that, do, we, do we see it even more that we're just, we're a body, like we're, we're connected? You're like, I feel like a pinky. Pinkies can have a big impact, okay, <laughs> if they hurt. And, and then the world. It's God's world out there. It, it's God's world. It's, it's, it's not ours. It's his world. And when you see a big God, I mean, then I think your MO in life changes. Like, just you do all you can to reach neighbors and nations with good news. And you just see opportunities and doors open that you never thought about. Span or JA or prep or teaching or MC or going off to whatever college you're going off to, to hear as we open the doors on Sunday morning. And so I would close with this, because it is a time, I, I believe this is a great time to start or restart or new start. And so if you're here, and this is really important, it's really important to me, I mean, seeing a big God, we're about to take communion, and then we're going to worship, and, and could, you, could you take another step, or could you take a step, or, and I love the swimming and diving, so I mean, could, could you take a plunge into a new world when you see different? You know, like, how do I do that? Baptism service next week, one way. Um, small groups that are wide open. Uh, I do one Thursday morning at Radical, I call it Radical, at Sneaky Beans. Do another one Wednesday night, so yeah, I do a night one and a morning one, so there's no excuse for those of y'all who can't get up early, you know, Wednesday night then at 6. Serving here. We talked about children and teachers, youth starting tonight, uh, just coming, setting up to greet or connect, just saying, hey, I want to be part of the body. Mission trips, like I said, man, I'm, I'm wide, you know, some people critique the short-term mission, they say, oh, when helping hurts and all that, and I'm wide open, we're going to go, we're going to keep going. You just take a step. Say, I want to start seeing different, because I know a lot of you really want to start seeing different, and, it, and it's there. Take a step, take a plunge, see different. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray I see different day by day. I say, pray this church sees different. Uh, break us from shackles of like just, just normal and a comfortable life with, with no fear because often you'll say, well, being uncomfortable, I'm afraid of it. It's an adventure. It starts in new life in Christ. It, it never ends. We celebrate in baptism. We grow in it through the church and through a group as a body of believers. And so I do pray that it's never about Bellwether Church, but that we desire and need one another for accountability and for growth. And you would just, we'd walk through the doors that you have presented before us. Thank you, Jesus, most of all for the communion that it's all about you dying for us, you saving us. May we know that. In Jesus' name, amen.